Elvis Presley was one of the most important and influential popular cultural figures of the 20th century. He was also a martial artist. Um, Mark Duffett from the University of Chester is an Elvis Presley expert and we're going to talk about Elvis and martial arts and popular culture. Mark, how are you doing? I'm well, how are you? I'm all right, I'm excited to talk about Elvis. I've got my Elvis t-shirt on. I saw it says, that. It says cool. Elvis Karate at the bottom. Um, and it was bought, it was designed as a joke. A friend of mine uh, loves Elvis and we, we went on holiday together one time. He was reading a book about Elvis and he just kept laughing and reading stuff out about Elvis. And he found the idea of Elvis doing Karate to be hilarious. And he and and that we we just it became a theme, and he bought he designed his old T-shirt, Elvis Karate. So, what's the status of of martial arts in Elvis's life? Do you know? Wow, uh, good question. Well, um, from what I mean, like from what I've read, uh, it was second only to music in his life in terms of being a hobby and a pastime. But um, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much to talk about here in terms of like what level he took it to and as you said like you know introducing this free humor there's a lot to discuss about humor i think as well so there's yeah well i i i think that i mean i i be it was really my friend reading this book this biography of elvis and it was a, you've probably read it it was a it was a biography compiled through lots of press clippings and news stories and it was basically just right. one after the other and anecdotes and interviews and so on and it seemed to be uh, like, because it, it, it came to the public's consciousness through a couple of films in the 60s. And then in his Vegas era, when he was using his martial arts as a substitute for dancing, as a kind of, he incorporated some of his moves into his Vegas stage shows, didn't he? And this is when we were talking long tassels and lots of sequins. <laughs> I mean, yeah absolutely yeah and I'm not I mean you would know this more than me but I'm not even sure if any of those moves are actually karate in the kind of the kind of combative sportive sense they seem to be quite um slightly redesigned perhaps well some of them I mean when I don't know when he started to use them but if you, if you look at his his choreography it's it's basic punching and kicking and then it's obviously that there's some there's some jiggling in there as well that's his own but i think that you know if if you're a martial artist and you're not a very good dancer <laughs> you know, this this happens you know this this is what comes out but he seemed to deliberately choose it didn't he as a as a, as a oh, yeah. routine uh yeah absolutely i think it was um he he, he he was obviously interested in that. I mean, I mean, this is there's just so much to talk about here because, in, in, you know, I have read that in in some ways he was afraid of the audience, so maybe that was a way to kind of get that fear out. Okay. Um, also, it was a way to control the band, and some of the some of the band actually learned karate um, okay. so that they could kind of interact with him. So I think there's a sort of um, element of kind of acuity there that maybe that. Uh, as, as I've been reading up stuff more and more on like, um, I know Ed Parker, you know, is probably somebody we'll talk about, said, said that Elvis had chi and he had chi on stage and that, that kind of the energy um, um, distribution. I, to me, that, that's, whether that's true or not, and I don't know how you would measure whether it was true, it's certainly a frame that Elvis was put into through his use of karate mm. that allowed the... Uh, the power that he had over the audience, the power that he had with the audience to be expressed. 
Mm. I'm interested in it as an authenticating device, perhaps. Well, I, I mean, I guess when someone like Ed Park is talking about chi or ki in, in the Japanese term would be ki, but if he's talking about it, it just, it, it just, one of the translations of chi is presence. Mm. It's, people think that it's often a kind of a, a mystical energy and sometimes it can be regarded as some kind of life force. But when you talk about life force, you're talking about people who exude that mm. health and that power and that, we call it stage presence sometimes, I guess. And if he's well, got that, which he has, he's got it in bucketfuls, hasn't he? I mean, he's got loads of it. Um, you know, people say it about all sorts of, you know, someone walks in a room and you go, wow, they've got this energy. I think maybe Ed Parker was talking about that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. What, you, what you're talking about there is aura or the ability to make people starstruck. And I think um, that the way that I've investigated that over the years is not necessarily to think of it as something true, but to think of it as something that people buy into and believe. And, and how, how do they do that? Well, you know, for, for me, one of the breakthroughs came when somebody said, well, you're writing all this stuff about Elvis and audiences. You should look at Durkheim's ideas about religion. And what okay, Durkheim yeah. basically says about religion is that if a large number of people pay attention to something, that thing becomes a totem. And once it becomes a totem, it, it kind of has a power of its own. People pay more attention to it. Um, and I think, you know, like that for Durkheim, that doesn't have to be a religious thing. It could be a secular thing. I mean, he even talks about like the, the flag during the French Revolution as kind of having this kind of power. I think like that helped me make sense of Elvis in terms of what, why does this guy have this immense power uh, in relation to his audience? Now, there's obviously all sorts of reasons for that and frames you can put on it. Um, but evidently he had that, you know, and, and as you say, there, there were very rare occasions where I think he lost it. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at some of the much kind of later, the end of his life when he was on stage, really off, off out of it on um, pills and stuff. Yeah, you, you could almost well, tell he was alone. For, from well, I, I think, I mean, I think if we're talking about presence, stage presence, physical presence, I think that I, 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 I agree with that entirely. But then, I mean, there's, there's, there's a conversation we need to have about the, what happens to Elvis when his physical presence or his image or his persona diminishes, and then, and what happens to the, 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 the imagery surrounding him? Because oh. I kind of think that he, he did have this sort of magnificence as a performer, but then the further away you get from that, the more funny he becomes. When you think about, you yeah. know, when you see someone being amazing, like if you see Bruce Lee or you, or you see um, Elvis Presley, and they're amazing. But then when he's, then you start to do an, uh, your uh, interpretation of them, or, uh -huh, or whatever, then it's funny. Or you have the quiff, or you have the aging Elvis, and then add into that the karate mm. kicks and the punches, and it, it, it starts to look a bit ridiculous, which is another one of his cultural destinies, isn't it? It's like, it becomes comical, the, the older, sagging, kind of, uh, you know, sequin-wearing, overweight guy. It's, it's an unfortunate, it's a tragedy, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, th I, th I think to a lot of fans that the fact that his voice was still there um, kind of prevented some of that comedy, but to people outside of that, because particularly because he'd been so dynamic in the 50s, I think, as well, uh, when he did put on weight in the 70s and, you know, he, he, he bummed a few notes and he'd have a, like a lyric sheet in front of him because he forgot the words and things. Mm. Then, then, of course, you know, you can point out, well, this is, this is kind of 
ironic that, you know, why are people so interested in this guy when actually when you look at him, you know, he, he's not really as great as he deserves to, at that point. But I think by the 70s, Elvis had become so iconic, um, it, it's hard, you know, not to measure him like that because, you know, when, when in, in by about 73, 74, he, he, he was living on a street that was named after him. I mean, he was at that level. He'd, he'd, he'd done a microfilm of all his possessions because he knew that would be historic. Yeah. Um, so he had, a, he had that kind of um, I, iconic fame and he kept that going for quite a while. But actually, when you look at it towards the end, you know, he's not a lot of the places he's touring are not that big. He's actually doing the secondary markets and things. So that idea of the 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 giant iconic Elvis is maybe you know has has human frailty behind it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, towards well, for much of his life, I guess it was a pretty nocturnal existence, which one of the reasons why you get the unhealthy lifestyle and you get the uppers and downers to, to kind of try and regulate that somewhat. I mean, his, his, his drug use is probably a large part of his decline, wasn't it? I mean, there's, to keep this in relation to martial arts, and this is one reason I think why my friend found it so amusing because he was reading this book and then we were going online, he was going, look, look, and he was finding on his phone like images of uh, video, films of Elvis turning up to teach a Kempo or karate class, but he's obviously smashed out of his mind on drugs. Like, yeah, can't yeah. find door yeah. handles. You know, he's like walking up where he got his sunglasses on and he's reaching for a door handle and missing it. And this guy's yeah. gonna go into that place and teach and teach a seminar to a lot of adoring students. I mean, it, this was a source of endless, endless comedy and mirth. Yeah, I, I, I think for, for, for a lot of non-fans, that's funny. And for some fans, it's a tragedy, you know, that, that you know, this guy is obviously, a, in some ways, a lost soul, that he's, his life is declining. And yet people are kind of, because of the power of celebrity, people are, and, and the wealth and the fame that he's got, people are kind of propping that up through, mm. and, and, and uh, Therefore, it turns around to be the question of, well, you know, who could help this guy, you know, because he, he seems to be so strong willed in this delusion of celebrity that, you know, nobody can quite reach him to kind of sort him out on that level. And the martial arts can sort him out. I mean, yeah. and that's an interesting thing that so on, on one level, you could sort of frame Elvis as a kind of a hypocritical figure. But on another level, you could see him as maybe, you know, a kind of a lost soul yeah. or a, somebody who was struggling. Well, I mean, I, 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 think, I think his narrative is different to someone like Robert Downey Jr. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. got messed up real, really badly for a long period of time, and he turned to martial arts to save him. But I think Elvis picked up his martial arts training while in the military, right? And then yeah, just loved yeah. it, just like he was in Germany or somewhere, and he just loved it. And he was yeah. so... Uh, there's a great quotation, I think it might be from Ed Parker, or, or that someone who introduced Presley to Ed Park and he kind of sent a letter to someone saying check out this kid he says it's like it's not pretty or he's not pretty but he's really good or he's really tough or something like like so when you see these films of Elvis doing stuff it looks sloppy but it looks clumsy but yeah, it's just yeah. so tough and quite yeah. strong that well what more do you need in, in, in the block? you know you just like punch me it doesn't bother me I'm gonna punch you you're gonna go down because I'm so big and heavy and coordinated <laughs> yeah, have you seen um, Joe Rogan's clip on YouTube of him talking about Elvis? Because he kind of gets into all of that and kind of makes it into comedy. And oh, I haven't seen I, it. To be honest, you know, I, 
Well, she's, Joe Rogan's quite an interesting person to do that because, of course, he was a, a sports commentator and, and a comedian, so you can understand why he would see it that way, yeah. Um, so the, the quote that you were talking about, Elvis got into the, um, into the martial arts, at, I reckon, at the end of 50, 58. Now, the, the, the problem with Elvis history is that there's a lot of different dates, there's a lot of different ideas, and you have to kind of sift through it all the time. Yeah. Um, but it looks to me that, that he got in at the end of 58, he had a German instructor um, called Jürgen Seidel. Um, now, Seidel was influenced by Henri Play, who was a French, um, French martial artist. And uh, so uh, Elvis found out about him, went, went to see a demo. Um, he, he was based about 20 miles down the road. One of, one of his, uh, he, I think he was working in a converted hotel about 20 miles down the road from Elvis. Um, and then he had another another studio which was even more local. So this is a guy on the doorstep. Elvis went with his mate Rex Manfield, and and they got into Shotokan karate through through that route. Mm-hmm. Um, and and El, like there's two of there's kind of backstory to that because some people think that um, he may have seen a judo demo in Fort Hood. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he may also have um, read um, What Is Karate by uh, Mas Oyama, mm-hmm. um, who I believe was quite. Um, as sort of one of the people that kind of mixed up karate in the 50s with kind of like sort of popular marketing and kind of got into the America, like did a tour of America and got into the American market. Mm. So maybe some of those influences were coming in, but certainly I've also read that he got into karate at the end of 1959, so a year later. Now, the reason I don't think that's true is that he got, he got a brown belt early 1960 and I think it would have probably taken him more than a few weeks to get it but I don't know. Okay okay so I mean what are the, so who, who has these different versions I mean because it's it, oh. I bet he hasn't he didn't keep a diary or anything did he it's just like no. friends testimonials and yeah yeah okay and what have you what do, do you know what people were saying about his his abilities at the time or what fans have made of it because I know that you've done a lot of studies around fandom and, and, and the character of Elvis and so on. Well it, it didn't it didn't really get significantly drifted into his public image until early 1960 when he came back from the army and did a press conference in Memphis and sort of said to people this is what I do in my spare time and I think, and I think after that, it kind of um, was more visible in his image. But even then, you, you like you had to be aware of it and pick up on clues about it. So, going back to the the quote about, oh, this guy is not just pretty, but he's also tough. Yeah. Um, what what I believe happened, and so to fill in this other part of the history, was that once Elvis got back um, to America, uh, he was. One day he was at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel staying there while he was um, making a film. And there was a, a, a demo going on downstairs that was uh, Ed Parker. Uh, and Red West saw the sign in the lobby, oh, karate demo. So Elvis went down and watched and Parker was really wrapped up uh, in, in his demo. Um, his head, that was where his headspace was at. And at the end, he was like, oh, Elvis Presley's here. So they then had a big chat and then Parker supposedly, although I'm not entirely sure about this, sent Elvis off to Hank Slamansky. And, and Hammering Hank apparently taught him for several weeks and, and then did the test where Elvis got his first black belt. Mm. 
And I think it was at that moment, like just after that, that Slamansky sent a message back to Parker, like mm. this guy's not just pre not pretty anymore, but he's tough kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, did um, the way it was? I mean, when I was younger, like long before I'd given any thought to this, it was always presented as as a little bit like uh, a bit uh, a bit of a sham because just because he was so famous mm. that he was given black belts. Yes. Uh, I mean, what, th there was definitely press around that that I read at That's some true. point in my life. But yeah. like, he, he was legit, wasn't he? I mean, I mean, did he get bad press at the time for having a black belt? Did people kind of question his authenticity or his skill? I'm not even sure if many people knew about the first black belt too quickly, but certainly later on, yeah, the, the last black belt he got was actually from Parker, was ninth degree. Yeah. Now, it's <laughs> unlikely that, that given that there are uh, only 10 degrees and that very few individuals in the world get anywhere near there, yeah. it's unlikely that Elvis was worth ninth degree. And in fact, um, Parker gave it him as a birthday present but it was a but but it was a full ninth degree certificate, yeah. um, and uh, some of the other people who trained with Elvis, like well, I think it was Wayne Carman, were a bit upset about that because like you know, like no way does this guy deserve his ninth degree, and of course you know he didn't, yeah. um, and I think Elvis knew it because he gave he gave he gave the certificate to his girlfriend Ginger Olden, he kind of brushed it off right. because I think he he wanted to feel that he'd earned them, um, however. Um, then there's the question of well, okay, so given he he probably did earn his first one, like well, like uh, and and at that point there were maybe like um, I think Joe Corcoran said that there were about a hundred martial artists in America, so Elvis was one amongst the pioneers. Mm. Like at what point in 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 going up through those different degrees did he did he then stop being a proper martial artist and become an inauthentic one? Well, I I'm not qualified to say, and I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, they say, I remember the first time I heard about this, um, long, long time ago, I used to do Taekwondo. And my instructor was, he at the time was like a fourth degree black belt. And I think he got a fifth, they promoted him to fifth degree. And he said, he said, really, your first <clears throat> four dans are for your ability. Mm. And everything after that is for what you've given back. So that, there's an argument, yeah. if we follow that line of thinking, that people are acknowledging what he'd given back to the... And it, yeah. I mean, it, it's, that's like stretching uh, credibility to, to the furthest possible um, point. But, um, but I mean, d did he give back? Did he, did he teach or, or was it just his public kind of profile? He, he did do some teaching, but I don't, and, and certainly he was witnessing to the, the giving out of other um, uh, different uh, black belts and other things. But I don't think he signed off any black belts. Yeah. Um, so he was kind of second witness and stuff. But yeah, he did, he did do some teaching and instruction because he had a thing. I think what happened really was that, um, so after um, Slamansky, he, he kind of trained with Parker. Um, particularly in the early 70s and, and then also with a guy called Kangri who did Taekwondo um, and the what happened was that once you got to a certain level I think it was seventh or eighth degree you could set up your own institute so basically he, he did that 
And then, so the, there was a thing called the Tennessee Karate Institute that he set up in um, 1974. Mm. Um, and so then he had kind of his own um, organization and, and uh, place to, to do karate. And, and also he was, um, he wasn't, um, when he did it, he like he, he asked usually for there to be no press and no cameras around when he was training and teaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we don't have that many pictures of him, ironically, doing it. All. I mean, we have some when he did public demos and things. Yeah, yeah. I think it. I mean, I've just been thinking about this, and this is it's ridiculous, really, because the first time I've thought about it. But I've known about this structure for a long time. The 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 there are a couple of different routes by which martial arts reached Western consciousness, uh, and and one of them, the 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 really important narrative, is American servicemen american soldiers coming back from from east asia or in this case western europe but still um and having having experienced um japanese and and korean martial arts so you have you know chuck norris is the famous the famous case um the other route of course is through is through the sort of the china like san francisco chinatowns and so on which is a a different sort of trade route but but I mean, Elvis kind of typifies that process in which it, he does something which is Eastern, it's characterized as Eastern. He's a serviceman, he comes back to the USA and then loves it and, and, and lives it, but transforms it into something else. Like, it, like in, Western, in Western consciousness, like karate and American Kempo and stuff, they, they, it becomes something else. On the one hand, mystical and Asian, but on the other hand, it's a bit more like, you know, it becomes like Master Ken, you know, it becomes a bit like a, a, a totally different thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it does. And, uh, you know, from what I've kind of looked into in, in just in recent times, mainly, is, is that, I remember seeing a podcast before where you were talking about the idea that karate maybe became more of a joke into the 80s and 90s. And it, it like there are moments where it's a kind of joke back in the 60s and 70s uh, in terms of the public kind of portrayal. And, and, and one of those was when Ed Parker went on the Lucy show. Um, so there you've got a, a kind of fully fledged martial artist doing his thing mm. in the context of a comedy show where kind of jokes are going on around him. Um, and then the other thing I thought of was High Karate Aftershave, oh, which yeah. I traced back to 67. And I think that were, and, and that's got a kind of Elvis connection because of course the idea of High Karate is that you will be fending off women, which is what Elvis kind of constantly did, so. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I've just, I've, I've written a, a book. My next book is called um, The Invention of Martial Arts and it'll be out hopefully in December. And I've written, spent a lot of time writing about the high karate thing, but I didn't make oh. the connection explicitly between between what Elvis was doing, because it is 1967, it, it first appears. But they, they made different high karate adverts in the States yeah. that, and, and, and compared to the ones in Britain, which which we know. And they're very, very different. Like, like the, I, the humor is different. Like the one, the version we have is kind of Benny Hill type version, but yeah. but the American one is very much more monogamous and very, a, a kind of humor that I don't, didn't really get. But I didn't make the Elvis connection, but but you think there could be an Elvis connection there? Well, uh, j- just the, the, the idea that you would do karate to fend off women was kind of interesting. And um, in, in connection with that, I know that, um, uh, w- w- part one of the things that Parker did was when when Elvis got 
death threats and things, Parker would be kind of brought in to kind of look after him for a while. And Parker stationed one of his students, Dave Hebler, to look after Elvis and become his bodyguard. And Dave Hebler's talked about um, using his karate skills to get in between Elvis and the fans. Uh, in order that if if the fans were kind of coming up, he would take the blow and his his body would take it, so that they wouldn't get any lawsuits or problems with injured fans. So it's kind of interesting in relation to that. But I you know I don't know if there's any kind of direct connection. It's just interesting that 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 kind of comedy version of Crowley was also associated with gender, with with the kind of women's liberation. You and and the other thing that as you were talking before, I thought about it in relation to was. It's, it's globalization, isn't it? I mean, that that sort of 50s, 60s period is the moment where um, Americans can kind of fly off to different places and all these different practices start melding together and the East meets the West in all sorts of different ways, mm. uh, including those kind of Orientalist or kind of comedic ways. Mm. Yeah. And didn't, I read somewhere there was, I, I, I was looking at um, news stories. I was looking through the, the, the kind of, I was searching for keywords like martial arts, you know, in, in the British national press. And the story comes up uh, later on. I think it's in the maybe late 70s, maybe early 80s. And um, didn't, Elvis, didn't Elvis's wife have an affair with, his, with his, um, one of his instructors? She Don't did. Know about that situation. Yes, yeah, she did. I mean, that that was um, basically how how his marriage ended. Now, I'm not entirely sure because a lot of the dates are so hazy on this, whether the affair happened before they were separated or after they were separated. But um, uh, okay, so uh, what happened there was that Elvis, um, through Ed Parker, um, went to a karate tournament in 68 and saw Mike's, it's Mike Stone you're talking yeah, about, yeah. Saw, saw Mike Stone fighting there and thought he was a bit cocky, but they never actually met Mike Stone at that point. And then later on, um, Parker introduced uh, Priscilla to Mike Stone, but I'm not sure whether that was before mm. or after she'd also met him because Priscilla trained with... Um, Ed Parker, she trained with Kangri and she trained with Chuck Norris. And all of those guys said, oh, you know, she's actually quite good at it because she's got this flow with ballet training and dancing that she can actually do these kicks and things quite with good precision. Hmm. Um, and it, it was through the training with Chuck Norris that she met Mike Stone. Now, whether she trained with Mike Stone first and then trained with Norris or trained with Norris and then met Mike Stone, we don't some of those facts are a little bit hazy. We'd need to get her involved to kind of clarify them or him. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's what happened. And I think um, the interesting thing to me is that Elvis's response to that was to get more into karate because yeah. the, the, the idea was maybe like this, you know, what's this guy got that I haven't? Right. You know, he's not got any money. So it must be this whole, you know, martial arts champion thing. Well, maybe, you know, if I train a bit more, and, well, and yeah, so, I mean, you could, I mean, when, when chaos happens in your life, you throw yourself into things. I mean, mm. I mean, for me, exercise is one of my happy places. You know, it's like, it, it, maybe you were so into it that it was just a happy place for him. Or, but he also used to, used to try and lose weight, didn't he? Because he, he didn't do it through diet because he, he had a shocking diet. But he, yeah. he, he would, this, is, this was his go-to, like, try to lose weight, try to be healthy activity, wasn't it? 
I, I think it was for, for a certain period of his career. I think in, towards the end, racquetball and, and uh, that kind of thing became more important to him. But uh, certainly in the sort of in, around 1973, 1974 in particular, he was on fire with Crowley. I mean, it was coming out in his stage performances. He was setting up this institute. Um, and there, there was, and, and he was going to do a film called Gladiator. There was, there was so much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Did he? So, 1973 is a big year for for martial arts, isn't it? It's a big year for postmodernity. It's, it's a, it makes 73 is a big oh, yeah. year. It's also the year that that Bruce Lee gets famous. Bruce Lee dies. Did did Bruce Lee come onto his radar at all? I mean, if you knew Chuck Norris, and he, you know, he was working in in those kind of circles. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I've not read that he ever met him. Mm. And um, the, from the things that, that I think there's one thing out online saying that he asked to meet him a couple of times, but I've not been able to verify that. Now, I don't know why, because given Bruce Lee's fame, given his acuity in the martial arts, you would think Elvis would be, and, and given probably how near Elvis lived to Bruce Lee for a certain period of time, you would think that Elvis would be quite interested in, and in I would have thought Bruce Lee would have been he would have loved something yeah. like that because it would have been such a door opening moment for him to meet someone oh, yeah. of that yeah yeah and and they both knew Parker right Parker was yeah. a, conne- a mutual connection so I'm the only the only thing I can think of and I don't know and this is complete speculation was that I believe and you probably know more about this Lee was a suspect in the in the Manson murders for a while <laughs> is that is that is that bunk or is that uh is that kind of uh <laughs> do you know what i don't know about that right yeah that, yeah that, that's that's we'll so draw funny. a veil over that one but like, <laughs> i mean if given that elvis was kind of in with people like the local police he might have kind of got wind of that and thought oh but i you know i don't know i mean that's complete speculation i think we'd need to ask quentin tarantino about that wouldn't we we'd need to get some some clarity on <laughs> yes yeah yeah <laughs> Indeed. And what exactly happened that night. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we, um, I mean, let's ask a little bit about your research. So tell me about the, I'm guessing that the starting point of your interest in Elvis was you just loved his music and you just thought he was cool. I mean, is that this origin story? Um, but tell me about your, your academic, the, what you've done in your studies and your, your research around Elvis. Well, um, I, no, it didn't really start like that. Um, the way it started was that I, um, my first degree was in geography a long time ago uh, at Oxford University. And um, then from there, I went international and studied um, geography in different departments in, in, in Vancouver, in Canada, and then in Wales, actually, in Aberystwyth. Um, and as I was going through that postgraduate journey, I kind of moved across from geography to popular music because I was more interested in popular music. Mm. Um, and so when I did my PhD, I wanted to look at the relationship between artists and their fans. And I thought, well, who can I study? Oh, I'll study Elvis. He's got a really massive, loyal and prominent following. I'm mm. sure there'll be a lot to learn. And, and there was. I mean... I think at the time I was a little bit naive as to the baggage that Elvis had in terms of the previous things we were kind of talking about in the in the 70s and the kind of the hypocrisy kind of comedy kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I really got into it and I met a lot of Elvis fans through it and uh, enjoyed doing it. And that kind of set me on my path in, in my academic life for the last 20, 25 years looking at all of this. Um, so really... 
I, I'm my discipline, if I have one, is kind of popular music studies. But then I've had a welcome in fan studies, so I'm kind of a fan. That fan studies has kind of become an exploding area, mm. uh, and sort of my work's ended up a bit there and in in popular music studies. And there is some difference between the two areas, but there's also a lot of overlap. Um, so yeah, I mean, in 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 that period, I've I've sometimes written on Elvis. I've sometimes written on music fandom in other ways, mm-hmm. uh, and I've occasionally looked at other artists. Yeah, and you've done a couple of books, um, edited collections, and yeah, yeah. So it's always a bit embarrassing when people wave their books. About. So you've got so there's Counting Down Elvis, his hundred was it hundred? Yeah, finest songs. finest songs. Okay, yeah. yeah. So and that then, one's just a. A song count there. Yeah, and what's the other one is Elvis Roots Image Comeback Phenomenon by Mark Duffett. This is your newest one, isn't it? It is, yeah. So this one actually had a, a 10 year genesis actually because I was asked to do it uh, that long ago and then I, I handed it in 18 months late and then the editor sat on it for four years and then died and then we kind of uh, got, got back together with the publisher. Uh, brushed it up rewrote it a bit and uh, it's just come out yeah so it's just come out with which publisher uh that's equinox press not not a very famous one but the series is quite famous it's called icons of popular music and they 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 do different stuff and you've got another thing another thing in the pipeline with oxford university press is that right yes that's called rethinking elvis um i did a conference in memphis uh, in 2017 with different scholars from all over the world and they were looking at um elvis stuff so we 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 got together a book on that yeah excellent and that's that is that coming out this year or next probably next year yeah we're still working on it might need one or two more contributors at this rate so we'll have to see how it goes yeah Yeah, okay. Well, you'll have to, my, my book will be out before yours then. You'll have to look at my section on high karate and... Uh, <laughs> I'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, who, who does it come out with? Who's your publisher? Well, it's Oxford University Press. Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah. 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 Because well, that, that, that whole period is so fascinating, the 60s, 70s. Yeah, I think so. Me. I think it, it really is. I mean, the between about 1967 and 1973, like the, the the world changed, the popular cultural environment changed, and one of the major things, from my perspective, that happened uh, was obviously the invention of the notion of martial arts. And Elvis was kind of there. I haven't really pulled. I've talked about Elvis in the uh, in the book, but I didn't really pull him out to foreground his work because that you know it would have been an enormous book i've just wanted i've tried to document the kind of popular cultural history that would be seen on most international screens so it's like everything from from cartoons like hong kong fooey and you know it really starts with the avengers in the 60s you know not not the marvel comics thing that the spy the british spy drama huge impact on on what people thought fighting was and the coolness in the foreign but yeah this the late 60s and the first half of the 70s as it, it just explodes doesn't it, it explodes doesn't it yeah absolutely and all all of those uh like way of the dragon enter the dragon black belt jones and all those ones yeah 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 and then elvis was watching a bunch of those right and, and kind of studying the moves and things we know that well everyone was yeah everyone was yeah <laughs> everyone absolutely was. yeah how did that how, like what how what was the relationship between that and the the sport if you like or the kind of the the pure martial arts if you can talk about that i i think my argument is that 
although the, the, the term martial arts existed, uh, and it always has existed as a translation of the, gem, uh, of the Japanese term like bugei, you know, it, it just means it, it's, the concept martial arts doesn't really come into existence. And I think one of the first, possibly the first use of the term in the English language, in a, like a martial arts context is Bruce Lee saying, and every day I practice martial arts. Mm. Um, and, and in specialist text, you get the, 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 the term martial arts does occur, but as a literal translation of Japanese, and you don't have the entity of the martial artist until really the very, very early 70s. Like people did judo or they did jujitsu or they might have done tang sudo or something like kung fu or something. But they weren't a martial artist, not in the West, not in the, not in the English. They, they did something, but it, there wasn't that overarching popular cultural paradigm. It just didn't make. It wasn't didn't exist. Yeah, that's that's interesting to me because that one of one of the things that that I mean, I'm I'm sure you have an argument about why that is, but I, my my guess is part of why why it is is because a lot of the martial artists from those traditions started combining. And then they were kind of combining almost entrepreneurially and kind of with, without seemingly without some kind of regard for the histories of those. But I'm sure they did have regard. But there was a sort of a, a combinatory kind of ethos. Um, and I think Elvis was the same in music that he was combining genres. Right. He was kind of like, let's have a bit of gospel and a, a bit of funk or blues or, or whatever. So I think there seems to be that. I, and I think that's there's there's. Uh, the marketing and and the doing go hand in hand during that period as well there's a sort of an entrepreneurial culture all these people kind of forming their systems yeah i mean you've got to think about the work of something like a movie poster so the movie poster for enter the dragon it it famously says the first american produced martial arts spectacular now that could that's very likely to be the first time that i mean more people saw that poster than saw the film it's Mm. very likely to be the, the the most prominent early usage of the term martial arts in, in, in America and, and in the West and so on. But I mean, this always happens, you know, like when the UFC started in 1993, they weren't calling it mixed martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my former PhD student, Kyle Barrowman, he looked at the history of this and the commentaries and they start to use the term uh, mixed martial arts because it's got a cool MMA. It's like they like these three words, these three, these three letter acronyms. Right. That, so, so, so people were doing something that wasn't MMA. Like you can look at it and go, yeah, of course it's MMA. They've been doing it forever. And you can go back and say Bruce Lee did it and the Japanese did it. But the concept MMA didn't exist until it's like retroactive. And then we project that back. And the same happened with martial arts, really. You project it. The term existed, of course, but it wasn't like a... a a popular cultural entity. It wasn't a discursive entity that people could say, I am a martial artist. You, you couldn't identify as that category because it, it really wasn't there or wasn't functioning in that mainstream way. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a great book. It's probably on my shelf somewhere. Oh, there it is. It's, it's, you might be interested in this book, Rebels by Leron Medvoy, Youth Culture and the or- Cold War Origins of Identity. Because okay. in that one, he argues that... Um, that the, the individuals that came up during the Cold War period, we talk about James Dean and Elvis and other people, see, seem to exemplify individuality. And his argument is that that was useful in the context of American uh, kind of colonialism, because you, 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 you couldn't just invade countries and build your empire like that at that stage. What you had to do was 
encouraged those countries to be free from kind of authoritarian or communist or, or religious fundamentalist regimes. And so the idea of the um, kind of like individualist person was kind of a metaphor or a microcosm of, of how America wanted these countries to be. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but that, the idea of individual expression seemed to be really important during that phase of history. Yeah. And people thought it was, maybe they felt it was subversive, but it wasn't necessarily subversive of the, the Western culture in which it emerged. It was potentially no. subversive as a kind of foreign policy. Maybe. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've drifted from Elvis and time's, time's marching on. And um, I just want to say that it's been really, really great to talk to you about Elvis. And um, yeah, really thought provoking and, and really great and really nice to... to um, to meet you, albeit virtually. So thank you, Mark. Yes, likewise. And, and, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to do this. It's been interesting. Okay, thanks.